Screenless. Making a soundtrack. Opening scene and action. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Ah, uh, bonjour, Gareth. Comment allez-vous? Um, <laughs> well, well Dan, uh, what are we up to this week? Hang on, hang on. Sorry, Dan. What, what's going on? Je suis désolé. J'ai été dubbed. <laughs> well, I've been dubbed. It's all about the dub this week, isn't it? Oh, Dan. Oh. Okay, so we're clear now. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's, yeah, it's yeah. about the dubbing engineer not it, being... Yeah. Yeah, okay. Nice one. We won't tell Tristan. Um, no. Speaking of which, where is Tristan? He was really feeling the pressure of lockdown. Uh, he wanted to get out, didn't he? Hang on, what's that noise? Is that a plane? Yeah. It's a plane coming it over. It is. It's a, it's a biplane. <laughs> oh, God. Did you see that bloke falling? Flipping egg. And he's in free fall. Where's your parachute? Open hey, parachute. open your parachute! Oh my God. Is that Tristan? The knapsack on his back. Hey, guys! Oh, hey, what is you? How's it going? Wow. Flipping heck, are you alright? That looked like a, a bit of a bumpy landing. It's a good job you'd left your Zorb there. It was, yeah, it was a bit <laughs> of a solid landing. It's a bit like diving into a pool and doing a belly flop. That's, that's how it felt. <laughs> and it's amazing how you bounced off your Zorb straight into your seat, ready to start the episode. That's amazing. Yeah, I've been practising that one. Wow. Well, we're all here. We're all here. So, the dubbing mixer. We're right at the end of the process now. We are, yeah. So, the music's been recorded, and it's been mixed, and it's been delivered to the dubbing mixer. Uh, so at this stage, what kinds of things are we looking out for? To be fair, there's not a great deal going on. All you're going to get now is the occasional change where they might suddenly decide because of mm. different views that maybe that piece of music isn't working as well as they hoped anymore. Or, you know, sometimes there can be something wrong with the scene, but it's easier to change the music last minute versus doing something else. Yeah. I've been in sessions where cues have been swapped They'll take something from earlier and put it in place or where they've been dropped as well. But other than that, there's no massive surprises. Yeah. You have worked with today's guest, Dan, haven't you? I have, yes. Uh, What can you tell us about Mark? Well, I quite often go on about how the dub is my favourite part of the process because everything comes together. And I think a lot of that is down to the way Mark runs dubs. When Sam and I started working on the Sarah Jane Adventures, from series two onwards, we'd all go over to the dub. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, when you're working on a show that has that many elements, you know what it's like as a composer, Gareth, and you too, Tris. Yeah. You get sent something and it's got some rough dialogue on it and maybe some sound effects that have been slapped on, but they're not the actual finished thing. And then just to sit at the back and have everything, including your music, be mixed together and sound like a proper TV show. That's the moment it becomes a proper TV (laughs) show. It's really exciting. And as a composer, you're taking your cues visually about where the effects are going to come from, aren't you? So when you're writing music, you're kind of... (laughs) got those things going around your head as well yeah and it can be a surprise sometimes seeing the things but also hearing what the special effects guys have come up with the sounds for these things 
at the heart of all that is obviously the dubbing mixer who's wrangling everything together and making it a complete whole. So Mark, as well as the Sarah Jane Adventures, of course, he's done things like Doctor Who, yep. Panorama, Coast. He mentions a couple of programmes in the interview. Wizards versus Aliens, of course, yep. which you were on as well, and Casualty and Being Human, and he's done loads and loads of stuff, hasn't he? Yeah, masses of it. I think sometimes dubbing mixers are close to composers because you tend to have to do everything, and a dubbing mix is the same. You have to be able to do everything, and he has pretty much done every kind of TV mm. programme there is. You name yeah. it, he's dubbed it. And so um, we're going to have to do an, another little pop quiz because Mark does mention a few things that might be misunderstood stood by listeners uh-huh. um so up for that both of you yeah who wants to take the first one what's an adr editor i'll do adr adr is an easy one uh adr stands for automated or additional dialogue replacement so on a tv show or film where they may have been on location it could have been too noisy it could have been because an actor has fluffed a line so they need to redo it so it's then done in a studio afterwards there's something about luffs. Loudness units relative to full scale is what it means. That's what luffs are. It's just a standardised measurement for loudness in film and TV. Well, it's used in lots yeah. of things, but film and TV is specifically for broadcast. Okay. 24-bit WAVs he talks about, but that's just a high-res audio file, yeah. isn't it? So basically. to put it into context, a CD... Do you remember those kids? Um, CD is 16-bit. <laughs> I remember CDs. Yeah, 16-bit 44.1. It's a higher rate. Broadcast has always been, in the UK at least, broadcast has always been set at 24.48. He talked about an avid server. What's that? It's not an enthusiastic tennis player, is it? <laughs> <laughs> avid is a company. They make editing software and they make Pro Tools. And they also make all sorts of hardware things and they make these big servers where you can have everything connected together via their cloud services and stuff. So that's what he's talking about there. And so for Mark Furder, dubbing mixer, Fandango. Mark began his career in music working with the likes of Brian Eno, Captain Sensible and with Yara Wobble on his Rising Above Bedlam album that was shortlisted for the first ever Mercury Music Prize. He switched to the role of dubbing mixer in 1999 when realising the Y2K bug would wipe out all forms of popular music. It was around this time he took up extreme ironing and if he ever manages to escape the studio he loves nothing more than climbing a mountain to get on top of everyone's least favourite household chore. Mark's favourite colour is none of your business, his favourite biscuit is C and he once had dinner with Michael Winner. They both had the duck. Thank you very much Dan and the internet for your amazing facts once again. You're welcome. Shall we, uh, shall we go behind the scenes? Let's do it. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Um, what's the role of a dubbing mixer? A role of a dubbing mixer, okay. Um, to suffer long hours at work in a darkened room <laughs> with a load of strange people telling you what to do. That's pretty much the role of a dubbing mixer. Um, to keep everyone happy. No, seriously, uh, the role of a dubbing mixer. Right, so depends on the genre you're working on. I work across many genres, in all genres, actually. So in a drama, the role of the dubbing mixer is to bring together all the elements uh, that are presented to you um, by the various departments, sound departments, uh, namely firstly the dialogue uh, will be presented to me from a dialogue editor 
uh, or a, a couple of dialogue editors in the case of big dramas when there's an ADR editor involved as well. So the dialogue will come in to me as a, from Pro Tools in a Pro Tools session, already mixed, level corrected, EQ'd, um, repaired, cleaned, made as perfect as it possibly can be, really, with the unusable elements given to me as well, but muted so that later they can be replaced with ADR. And the dialogue uh, normally comes in on about between 8 and 12 tracks, depending on the, the programme. Um, plus, in sci-fi drama, all the monster voices come in as well, which have been done by one of the dialogue editors. Um, so they'll they'll normally come in in stereo as opposed to the rest of it being in mono. And yeah, that's the the dialogue side of it. Uh, it's all will all come in hopefully pre-mixed to minus twenty three luffs loudness, so I can just sit back and press play and take all the glory, which is fantastic, because I don't do anything at all apart from sit there and smile. It's <laughs> <laughs> <was> actually true. <laughs> um, that, so that's the dialogue element of it. Uh, then I will get another session given to me by the effects editor. These will all be in 5.1 uh, Pro Tools sessions, with dialogue reverbs also already being presented to me in 5.1 and corrective reverbs. And then the effects will come in, similar thing, loads and loads of tracks of atmospheres in 5.1 and stereo, loads of um, special effects, spot effects, mono, stereo, really on a big drama can be an absolutely huge amount of tracks. Um, I've seen hundreds of tracks on effects, track lays, especially on um, sci-fi again with spaceships and stuff. And also with the... Um, exec producers who don't quite know what they want so we have, you kind of have to cover yourself for a spaceship to be a haunted house or to be a mechanical rumbly spaceship you never know so that's the second element i bring together the effects and then the third element will be the foley uh which again can m amount to sometimes 48 tracks maybe of footsteps and action sounds real sounds to replace from the dialogue when it gets muted to make the foreign versions, because obviously we lose all of the um, actors' movement and presence on screen. So we have to replace all of that with a Foley artist and a Foley editor that fits the footsteps and the fabric material moves and the keyboard taps and the lifting up of the coffee cup, etc., etc., and the opening of the wallet, all that. So that's, um, that comes in as a, another massive set of tracks with hundreds of events, thousands of events. And then the last element will be the music, uh, which, in my experience, normally comes in stereo as cues, separate cues for each uh, composition, for each scene or straddling scenes or whatever. Uh, sometimes comes in as a, a whole wav. There was one composer who always gave a whole wav, didn't want it fiddled with, didn't want it moved. So it would come in as a one-hour WAV, which completely stitches you up when you need to change things. But that, that's uh, besides the point, I suppose. Um, and then I, my job's to bring all of that together and balance it and make a dynamic, exciting mix for telly within the limits of the medium, which are obviously very limited in terms of loudness and EQ, bass. Obviously, don't want too much bass on telly because it takes all of your loudness away. Um, so basically, I 
I degrade everyone's work to make it fit on the telly speaker. As well as that, I'm the uh, ag- agony uncle who has to hold the room together when there's people with different views and want to do things in a different way. So I'm a kind of uh, central, have a central role, the pilot, if you like, flying the plane on the, through sometimes some very choppy turbulence. But generally speaking, everyone wants the same thing, which is just to make it good. And uh, that's what a dubbing mixer does, as well as recording as well, of course, delivering, delivering the, the end products in its variety of formats and stems, so the, the, the individual component parts get mixed separately. The dialogue, the music, the effects. Sometimes we do the dialogue and effects. Music and effects is the known as the M and E, which we send to foreign countries for them just to plonk a voice, uh, new voices of actors straight on, and that's about it, really. That's what I do. So there are several people involved in the process before you. Who do you communicate with about the dub? Well, if you're working in a team, your dialogue editor and effects editor are constantly feeding you information, as will be the foley editor. And, of course, the post-production supervisor who will be in charge of, uh, of everyone, bringing it all together. So, th- really, those are, those are the people. The directors normally um, want a spotting session with all the, the um, different departments in the sound, the sound departments. So we go to a, sit in an edit suite, watch the programme through, and the director says, I want this here, I want that there. They basically tell you what they'd like before you start working on the project whether that actually ends up finally as the thing, you can't can never tell until the exec producers and producers have been involved. Not much contact with the musician normally because they're always too busy writing under pressure. Um, it's more the... Um, being brutally frank, we're pretty much left on our own for weeks in a room to, um, to get it together ourselves. So obviously communication skills are huge. Um, the ability to work on your own with time pressures, with huge time pressures on you all the time and to stay abreast of everything that's that's going on, that's that's paramount. You've got to be a control freak to be a dubbing mixer, basically. You you, you, you have to, because you, you need to control everything to get it done in the time. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound too dissimilar from actually being a composer. Um, so do you, if you're having to deal with the director and people like that, does that mean you have to face the dreaded revisions that we oh absolutely all the time although i i can guarantee you because i have been composing as well recently that being a composer is way worse than being a dubbing mixer because when you're composing you're putting your you're putting your heart on the line and it comes from deep inside your soul to make music and then when that gets challenged that's heartbreaking i Mm. i I actually can't handle it it's all you better cut that bit out (laughs) <laughs> um, to cope with the revisions, it's hardest for the composer. I mean, for the dubbing mixer, if somebody asks me to turn a line of dialogue up, I'm not going to cry. But if somebody asks, tells me that my beautiful orchestral piece in 7-8 that really fitted those pictures um, is a load of rubbish, then that's heartbreaking. And how, where, do you, where do you go again? How do you go again once you've had that inspiration? You can't, really. I can't. I'm, no, it's very, it's very tricky. It's, it's very tricky. Very, very tricky. And, and it's so subjective... And some producers just want it their way, and I, I, I think that's very difficult to cope with. The, as for revisions with the, the sound effects, the dialogue, that's just par for the course, really. Um, I know that from having done this for a while, that being in the dub 
and having big music changes is is terrible. Uh, I've always thought it was wrong to make changes on the day when they've heard that music. It's been sent to them in advance and then suddenly say, no, we're not doing it that way anymore. That's hard. Mm, it's fairly, I think, working in any sort of creative job is fairly brutal, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to have a tough skin, which most of us don't because... You might look hard, but we're actually not. <laughs> That's why we're <laughs> doing a creative job. <laughs> and uh, yeah, some days, I mean, you know, I've been doing this a long time. Some days I still go home and cry. You know, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, does it help being around sort of similar people in a big building? Because obviously composers generally just work in a studio far away from everyone else. You're yeah. obviously in the, the yeah, BBC you, building at the moment. You, yeah, it's good to have colleagues close by so you can go and vent a bit. I spent two hours doing the dialogue that way and they don't, don't want it at all. You know, they didn't want the footsteps that I mixed for three hours. They, they wanted them out. They don't want to hear his feet, you know. And you th- that's that. It's good to have colleagues. Yeah, yeah. It's no, all so subjective, isn't it? That's, mm. you know, uh, there is, well, there is a right way for everything in, in this dubbing procedure, but um, who says... The right way is the way, you know, not necessarily the way that some people would want them to go about doing it, you know. And music's the most subjective, isn't it? So yeah, completely. So what 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 sort of problems generally come up in your line of work? Technical problems. If it's all moving on so fast, everything moves so quickly with a with a Pro Tools world and Avid world. It's mostly technical problems. If you're working with with established people that know what they're doing you don't really get problems in terms of everyone's trying to get to the same goal which is to get it done and to make it good um so really i haven't really seen many big problems uh, with humans I've seen one or two i mean do you ever get people sending you the wrong file formats and stuff oh you mean technical problems um no well any sorts of no everyone's really. learnt. everyone's <laughs> learnt. The, years ago, maybe, but every, everything works now. It's The technology's just so brilliant, isn't it? You know, everyone sends WAVs at 24-bit, 48K, and it's job done. There's no problems. And how do people know that they're supposed to send that? Is there sort of a, an industry format that is agreed, or are you in communication with the mixer? Every country has its own set of what's normal, but here in Wales, Britain, it's always it's always the same. 24-bit WAVs, AAFs, everyone. It just seems to have incredibly all just converged now. I never get anything that I can't load or... People have all become so good at doing it at home and they, they just know, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. What about miscommunication with the, with the director? Does that sort of thing sometimes happen if they haven't... If you've come out of the meeting or they've come out of the spotting session, you actually don't know really what it is that they want. Does that does that tend to happen at all? Not really, not, not that often. Sorry, I... Would love to give you some juicy examples of when people have had fist fights in the dubbing theatre, but it's it's not really it's not really like that, you know. When you've got all professionals around you and everyone kind of understands, I have had I have worked on programs where there have been very different interpretations of off-screen effects. For example, one show that I worked on that shall remain nameless had uh, a wood monster that lived in the wood. We didn't really know what it was. But it kind of lived in the ceilings and in the walls, and it used to. S- did it knock? Did it scratch? And there were huge debates for for weeks about whether it would be doing that knocking and or s- scampering across the ceiling. And you could go two days in the dub with that, and then that could be 
back to the drawing board, everything's wrong. Because the exec producer finally realises from his story that he hadn't realised what the sound was going to be yet, but finally he he works it out in the in the dub and that's how I want it. And then you have to go back to the drawing board with that. I've seen that. I've seen those kind of problems. And you can have directors, producers and execs all with three different views of it. And the dubbing mixer is sat in the middle thinking, well, which one intellectually shall I go for? I've got to go for the one that works for me because I've got to satisfy, I've got to believe what I'm hearing and seeing on screen. And then, of course, that's, so that's a fourth person involved. And then, <laughs> and then the big boss comes in and says, no, 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 you got it all wrong. So those problems I've seen a few times, misinterpretation, but it's generally because they didn't really know what they wanted when they started. Mm. Because they wrote, they wrote the story, they wrote the script, and that all works, but they didn't think of the out-of-vision effects. Because out-of-vision effects are so important. You know, it's, yeah. and that's the art form, isn't it, of dubbing, really, is the out-of-vision effects. That's what the masters are, are good at. I mean, what you're saying really ties in with the, the, the you know, the job of a composer, because th- those are all the things that composers basically have to go through. And uh, as we've uh, as we've said, it is is fairly brutal. Um, so what, <laughs> once once you finish, what's what's the next stage? Um, where where does it all go in terms of uh, files and yeah. deliveries? Yeah. Well, normally it just gets dumped on a on a server, and the post production supervisor picks it up and sends it to whatever central company base in London or or around the world, in the case of BBC Worldwide. Um, and that's just a matter of uh, sending 5.1 files and stereo files to other production companies and post houses, really. Are you just sort of sending audio files and you're not worrying about the picture or anything? You're just literally sending audio files and then it all gets put together later. Well, I've I've just done exactly that, but that's why I kept you unfortunately waiting today. I've just that's um, right. that's I've good. just done a um, yeah. Sorry about that. I've just I'm working on a documentary called The Story of Welsh Art, which is a three part documentary with Hugh Stevens uh, of Radio One DJ fame, and we've just done some fixes and the files I've sent. So basically, we're all on a giant avid um, server. The files I've sent were dialogue. It's, uh, only in stereo, each one in stereo, dialogue, music, effects. So that's a mixture of production effects recorded on location plus my track lay of the bird and the wind and the sea and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the voiceover or the com, commentary. A D&E, a dialogue and effects, uh, WAV joined together. So dialogue plus effects, no music, no voiceover. And a music and effects, so that's music and effects, no voiceover. And a final mix, which has to be delivered at minus 23 loudness spec, plus or minus so the, 0.5. The final, mix. the final mix is with everything in all at once. Every element, yeah. Yeah. The final mix is, is the mix of the program. So that's the component parts so, of that being dialogue, music, effects, and in this case, commentary. Four elements. Are you just sending all the others sort of separately just in case they want to rebalance or anything like that? Um, we send uh, all production companies and internal productions want a set of stems because, A, there'll be a trailer made, so okay. they'll want access to the dialogue on its own uh, or the effects on its own. Also, when they reversion, they, they'll need the stems if they're going to do a new version of the program so they, they, don't, they can't cut into the final mix, obviously, because they cut straight through the music. Mm. So you, you open up the stems... 
mute the music around the edit points, play the dialogue effects and commentary, edit that to it till until it works, and then of course you've got to replace that bit of music according to the new cut. And the other thing is that often one-hour programs get get made into thirties. They're reversioned into shorter, but you know, popular daytime shows often get reversioned into new lengths. So you need the stems, the, the audio stems, separate stems to be able to do that, because obviously you can't cut the final mix because of the long-running audio elements like the music. You can't cut through that. So that's what, why we, we provide all of that okay. to everyone, really. In fact, when I go to play out a programme, I've got seven tracks in record, always. Seven stereo tracks in record, all of those elements. I would never make a programme just in stereo, final mix. It would always yeah. have everything. Because you never know. And, of course, the times that you don't do it are the times they come back and want to recut it. And you say, sorry, I didn't do the stems. (laughs) (laughs) And your name is Mud. (laughs) (laughs) And how do you like to enjoy the finished TV programme or film? Hiding behind the sofa, normally. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I watch everything. I, I listen and watch everything that I do to make sure it's okay. Uh, I'm obviously hypercritical because it could always be better because you've never got the time. So I normally put a pair of Sony headphones on and sit in my chair with a glass of wine and watch it on my phone, heathen that I am. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, no, I mean, I think that's the, that's the way to do it, you know, just chill out and watch it and go, dear God, did I really compress the voice of that hard? And, and bear it in mind for the next time. <laughs> Have a panic well, attack. Listen. There's some guys I know who work here who won't watch their programmes ever because they're too... They can't handle it. They just can't handle God. it. Because there's so much... At the, they're they're mm. so perfectionist at what they do that even if something was a quarter of a frame out, they'd freak out. Yeah. So they just don't watch it. Or maybe leave mm. it a year. But I try, I try and watch everything because I think you should really be reviewing what your, you know, how good your work is. And, and yeah. there's, I mean, there's so many amazing, amazing sound designers and sound mixers out there now. It's just the quality of the sound is so high. You need to keep mm. abreast of the, you know, what's going on. Well, thanks for joining us, Mark. It's been pretty educational. I didn't, I knew basically nothing about dubbing mixer so oh really have i given too much depth no no it's perfect do you, do you want it perfect. simpler <laughs> no no not at all i don't you, want to bore you, you with, it bore you with science <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely perfect i could rab- rabbit on for hours about it i mean it's a, the love of my life really well thanks for joining us mark really really appreciate that it's been a pleasure thanks very much have a good day Well, wasn't that fab? Yes, that was really good. And it was really great of Mark to give up his time and share his experiences. Yeah, and a lot of them. He'd been doing it for quite a while. Yeah, there were quite a few interesting things that Mark was saying. And obviously, this is at a point in the process where it's less musical. Yeah. So there were quite a few things he was talking about at the very end of the process, which I thought actually at the beginning of the interview, Mark was a little bit, uh, I don't know what to tell you. 
uh, to some of what Tristan was saying. And it's because at that point in the process, everything has been so well made that when it's being sent to him, he's dealing with some very, very well made content that he doesn't really need to do much to. Uh, so that that was an eye opener for me. Yeah, as he mentioned, the dialogue and everything will have been done to such a standard that he should just be able to up the faders and it should just sit there very nicely. Yeah. He was talking himself down a little bit. He does a little bit more than, <laughs> I suspect than, so, than yes. that. Um, yeah. But to have everything delivered is one thing, even if it's all sounding absolutely brilliant. But then to put all of that together and make a cohesive mix mm. out of all yeah. of those hundreds of elements... Yeah. And in theory, uh, he shouldn't have to do much to it, really. It does follow, doesn't it? But I guess the problems that come up are to do with subjective decisions, which, you know, are to do with things that should have been signed off before that. So I suppose a frustration for him, isn't it? Yeah. And as he also mentioned, sometimes he's... And this harks back to Matt being the conductor and being the go-between between the booth and the musicians. Mm. A dubbing engineer can quite often be the go-between all the different people. So you've got the director saying one thing, one of the exec producers is saying something else, the composer saying, why isn't my music louder? And you're in between going, well, actually, what I'm going to do is we'll, we'll do this and yeah. trying to sort of balance everyone and get everybody on the same page again and being as diplomatic as he possibly can. Yeah, and everyone's edging towards the final mix. So I'm sure when everybody gets towards the end of a project, I'm sure there's an element of, oh God, a little bit of panic that you've got everything right. So I'm sure everybody in the equation is probably questioning (laughs) their decisions and all that. You know what I'm finding quite interesting is that in Fiona's episode, The Mixing Engineer, I think at the end I sort of, pointed out the similarities between her job and my job as an orchestrator and I think in this one we've found similarities to composers because he was talking about spotting sessions and revisions and bouncing stems and they're all things you have to go through and do when you're a composer. Yes I think that's a very good point Tris. He or she is a dubbing engineer is trying to make the best thing that they possibly can the most hopefully exciting entertaining dynamic mix they can of something and what we want to do as composers is obviously we're trying to stick some of the energy and stuff in to those mm. points. So I think there's definitely a cross between it. And as Mark pointed out, I mean, he's done a little bit of composing himself. I know he recently did a series, which he downplayed as being all drones. It wasn't just all drones, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so definitely some similarities. Yeah. And he's still providing stems. Yeah. You know, you think it gets to the end, he just provides a stereo master but no and that makes perfect sense doesn't it if it's going to be in a different language yeah or if they're going to make a trailer yeah then yeah those broadcasters and production houses are going to need those different elements so again it's a another long list that he's got to pass on you can never escape the stems never escape the you stems. can't <laughs> <laughs> So I think that's rounded off quite nicely. Tristan, is uh, is that your plane arriving over there? Yeah, I'm about to just spot skydiving. Now you've got your parachutes on this time because you had your neck attack on coming in. <laughs> I've remembered the I've remembered the parachute this time. Good, excellent. It made a hell of a mess when you landed on your lunchbox <laughs> like that. <laughs> okay, Dan, is that a? That's a wrap. Oh, that was a tough one. <sighs> That's a wrap. How do you find us? 
makingasoundtrack.com will tell you all you need to know. Links to the podcast, social media links, and there's information about us. And if you're enjoying the podcast, it would make our day if you could give us a positive rating or review. Details of that are at makingasoundtrack.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit that share button and recommend it to someone else. There we go. Final episode next time. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Aww. Shock horror. Okay, see you next time. Bye. Bye. That's so weird, isn't it? Yeah. Ask Brian Cox. Professor Brian Cox knows all about Zoom latency. (laughs) It's one of his latest theories. (laughs)